If he is available in the same monastery, it is good. If not, one should go to where he lives. When a bhikkhu goes to him, he should not do so with feet washed and anointed, wearing sandals with an umbrella surrounded by pupils and bringing oil too, honey, molasses, etc. He should do so uh, fulfilling the duties of a bhikkhu, setting out on a journey, carrying his bowl and robes himself, doing all the duties in each monastery on the way, with few belongings and uh, living in the greatest effacement. When entering that monastery, he should do so experiencing nothing and even provided with a tooth stick and he should has and, and that he has had made allowable on the way according to the rules and he should not enter some other room thinking I should go to the teacher after resting a while and after washing, anointing my feet, and so on. So the idea of this, these are all things that, um, first of all, it talks about things you shouldn't do, means those are things that are considered uh, luxuries, and they're a sign of pride, or they can be uh, a source of cultivating pride. And the other ones are things that, course keep you the point is to keep yourself humble when you're going to meet the teacher try to go in a, a way that is i'm going to humble myself and i'm going to to submit myself to this person's guidance otherwise you know pride will keep you from learning and will make you stubborn and so on so it's a this sort of a prep stuff and then you should go right away to the teacher why because 67 Why, if there are bhikkhus there who are hostile to the teacher, they might ask him the reason for his coming and speak dispraise of the teacher, saying, You are done, for if you go to him, they might make him regret his coming and turn him back. So he should ask for the teacher's dwelling and go straight there. If the teacher is junior, he should not consent to the teacher's receiving his bowl and robe, and so on. If the teacher is senior, then he should go and pay homage to him and remain standing. When told, put down the bowl and robe, friend, he may put them down. When told, have some water to drink, he can drink if he wants to. When told, you may wash your feet, he should not do so at once, for if the water has been brought by the teacher himself, it would be improper. But when told, wash, friend, it was not brought by me, it was brought by others, then he can wash his feet, sitting in a screened place out of sight of the teacher, or in the open to one side of the dwelling. So normally when a monk gets to a monastery, there's protocol. If the greeting monk is junior to the monk who is arriving, uh, then they should take their robe and bowl and perform various duties. If the uh, receiving monk is senior, then they can tell them 
where to put their bowl and robe and where to get water and that kind of thing. So it's talking about protocol here. But if the person, if you go to the person as your teacher, you should not let them perform the duties, even if even if they're junior. If they're junior and they would go ahead and perform the duties, you know, I've come to you as 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 a student, so please, I can do it myself. Are we reading in line with the uh, names on the screen? We we are yes. Okay, I'll go next. Um, if the teacher brings an oil tube, he should get up and take it carefully with both hands. If he did not take it, it might make the teacher wonder: Does this bhikkhu resent sharing so soon? But having taken it, he should not anoint his feet at once, for if it were oil for anointing the teacher's limbs, it would not be proper. So he should first anoint his head, then his shoulders, etc. But when told, this is meant for all the limbs, friend, to anoint your feet, he should put a little on his head and then anoint his feet. Then he should give it back, saying, when the teacher takes it, may I return this oil to venerable sir. He should not say, explain a meditation subject to me, Venerable Sir, on the very day he arrives. But starting from the next day, he can, if the teacher has a habitual attendant, ask his permission to do the duties. If he does not allow it when asked, they can be done when the opportunity arises. When he has done them, three tooth sticks should be brought, a small, medium, and big one, and two kinds of mouthwashing water and bathing water, that is hot and cold, should be set out. Whichever of these the teacher uses for three days should then be brought regularly. If the teacher uses either kind indiscriminately, he can bring whatever is available. Why so many words? All should be done as prescribed by the Blessed One in Kandakas as the right duties in the passage beginning. Because a people should perform the duties to the teacher rightly. Herein, this is the right performance of duties. He should rise early, removing his sandals and arranging his robe on one shoulder. He should give the tooth stick, uh, the tooth sticks and mouthwashing water, and he should prepare the seat. If if there is rice gruel, he should wash the wash the dish and bring the rice gruel. To please the teacher. By perfection in the duties, he should pay homage in the evening, and he should leave when dismissed with the words, You may go. When the teacher asks him, why, are, why have you come? He can explain the reason for his coming if he does not ask, but agrees to the duties being done. Then, after ten days of a fortnight have gone by, he should make an opportunity by staying back one day at the time of his dismissal and announcing the reason for his coming, or he should go at an un. Accustomed time, and when asked, "What have you come for?" he can announce it. It's quite impressive. I'm not sure that anyone 
nowadays follow such uh, protocol. It's uh, to to actually wait ten days is remarkable. Um, interesting, but re quite remarkable. One day, can you read 73? If the teacher says, come in the morning, he should do so. But if his stomach burns with a bile affliction at that hour, or if his food does not get digested owing to sluggish digestive heat, or if some other ailment afflicts him, he should let it be known. And proposing a time that suits himself, he should come at that time. For if a meditation subject is expounded at an inconvenient time, one cannot give attention. This is the detailed explanation of the words, approach good friend, the giver of a, approach the good friend, the giver of a meditation subject. Now as to the words, one that suits his temperament, there are six kinds of temperament. That is greedy temperament, hating temperament, deluded temperament, faithful temperament, intelligent temperament, and spe speculative temperament. Some would have 14. Taking these six single ones together with the four made up of the three double combinations, and one triple combination with the greed triad and likewise with the faith triad. But if this classification is omitted, there are many more kinds of temperament, possibly by combining greed, etc., with faith, etc. Therefore, the kinds of temperament should be understood briefly as only six, as to meaning to uh, the temperament are one. That is to say, personal nature, idiocracy, according to these, there are only six types of persons, that is, one of greedy temperament, one of hating temperament, one of deluded temperament, one of faithful temperament, one of intelligent temperament, and one of speculative temperament. Okay, I'm not quite clear on the 14 that he's talking about. It's not really important because he kind of uh, shrugs it off, but I think it's because of the parallels that we're going to read in the next section, because three of these temperaments are negative. Three of them are positive. The first three are are unwholesome aspects of one's character. So a person who is steeped in that sort of unwholesomeness. And the other three are um, not unwholesome, perhaps not always wholesome, but at least neutral, you know, faithful, intelligent, and speculative. So leaning towards the wholesome. And then the idea that there are three is interesting, or there, there are the triads is interesting. I guess means greed, hating, and delusion can come together. One person could theoretically be all three, and one person could theoretically be all of the other three. I mean, it makes kind of sense. But he, he shrugs it off saying that the point is, 
you you look at what out of all of them is is more prominent now for some people that might not be clear but for many people it is clear which is most prominent now i'm not sure we'll have to read on as to how he he lays this all out it's been a while but this is where we start to to diverge so those of you who who follow the sort of thing that i teach might start to get a bit confused and a lot of this isn't applicable because what we teach uh, I'll point out where he talks about what we teach, but it it kind of veers off and skips way ahead to chapter twenty one. No, not one of the later chapters. Maybe chapter twenty one, but but the I guess not exactly. It it, it skips ahead to the to the beginning of the uh, banya section. The uh, and so that's where we'd we'd start to we start our study. All of this is for the the meditator who's practicing jhana who's practicing samatha meditation so very interesting to learn much that's in this uh, chapter is unnecessary and um, much that's in this chapter is not never going to be experienced by the majority of meditators no matter which type of meditation they practice so there's lots in here about magical powers and the higher jhanas and um it's quite a neat chapter. It talks a lot about monks and their experiences and that kind of thing. And it's, of course, it talks a lot about the mind as well. But there's going to be a lot in here that is only applicable if you're practicing samatha meditation. So for, for educational purposes, it's I would say it should be required reading for for serious Buddhists. So uh, certainly worth it, no matter what tradition you follow. But just to keep separate these six temperaments are only for samatha and i think he mentions that because he'll talk about he'll talk about the uh character types in vipassana and they're or maybe he doesn't one of the commentaries does anyway we'll see um but at any rate these six are only for samatha meditation they don't apply for vipassana meditation kind of surprised the speculative is considered a good one seems like that has kind of a negative connotation today if somebody's speculative it's called vitaka vitaka means someone who is intellectual um someone who thinks i guess speculative is okay but it, it just has a bit of a negative comment pensive maybe is better um but yeah that's why i say it's not ex- not necessarily intelligent also intelligent is a a worldly good thing but buddhi is what it is so it is it's a positive thing speculative well let's let's read what he says about it then we can decide herein one of faithful temperament is parallel to one of greedy temperament because faith is strong when profitable comma occurs in one of greedy temperament owing to its special qualities, being near to those of greed. For in an unprofitable way, greed is affectionate and not over austere, and so in a profitable way is faith. Greed seeks out sense desires as object, while faith seeks out the special qualities of virtue and so on. And greed does not give up what is harmful, while faith does not give up what is beneficial. One of intelligent temperament is parallel to one of hating temperament because understanding is strong when profitable comma occurs in one of hating temperament.
owing to its special quality being near to those of hate. For in an unprofitable way, hate is disaffected and does not hold to its object, and so in a profitable way is understanding. Hate seeks out only unreal faults, while understanding seeks out only real faults, and hate occurs in the mode of condemning living beings, while understanding occurs in the mode of condemning formations. It's interesting how this kind of plays out in in life. I would I would suggest that you can see this that intellectuals tend to be more bitter, right? So there is <laughs> right there is a, a a potential connection there that you can see that is interesting. We on seventy seven. Yes. Okay. One of speculative's temperament is parallel to one of diluted temperament because obstructive applied thoughts arise often in one of diluted temperament who is striving to arouse unarisen profitable states. Owing to their special qualities being near to those of delusion, for just as delusion is restless owing to perplexity, so are applied thoughts that are due to thinking over various aspects. And just as delusional vacillates owing to superficiality, so to applied thoughts that are due to facile conjecturing. So it's not exactly speculative in the sense of uh, specious, you know, or useless thought. It's speculative in the sense of a person who who thinks, who considers, and uh, ponders things. So maybe pensive in English. You know, speculative is fine, but it's just we we have a negative. We give it a negative connotation, I think, culturally. Is it speculative in terms of creating suppositions? Yeah, but again, well, I mean, not necessarily in a bad way, but you know how like a scientist theorizes and that kind of thing. It's a person who thinks a lot, I would say. It's probably the best. So so it's, this is about recognizing people of that sort. So a person who thinks about things, who asks lots of questions and, and reads lots and that kind of thing is... Uh, sort of likes to ponder things. It's different from buddhi, which is about you know having a sharp mind. But this one is, I guess, it's almost speculative, but he's talking about it in a good way, like a person who who is conscientious, maybe. I don't see how speculative differs from deluded. Like, it doesn't, he doesn't really go into a difference very much there. Well, deluded is... Uh, believing things or or um, having states of mind like arrogance and conceit and wrong views, you know, or uh, a person who, who when they think about things, uh, comes to the wrong conclusions. So it's a person whose whose mind. You could say is faulty, where they look at it, they look at something, and their mind doesn't work in a logical way. This is a lot of people are like this. Uh, it's raining, therefore God must 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 have liked the dance I did. You know, I did this nice dance, and that caused the rain. So this this kind of thing. I mean, that's a silly example, but things like that where where you you miss the uh, or you have some kind of delusion. 
spe- speculative would just be the opposite, where you you think a lot about things, so you have you know logic and reason, I guess. So yeah, how about thinking about karma? Like, uh, if something happens, you're thinking maybe this must be a result of past karma. You are thinking uh, in terms of uh, Buddha's teachings and trying to uh, understand some experience. Yeah, yeah, like a, that would be a good, good positive example. Someone who wonders what kind of karma caused this, and and wonders, hey, what what happens? What will that do? You know, if I do this, what exactly is the, you know? And they think about the Buddha's teaching. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but we're not talking good or bad here exactly, and we're not judging any of these. But we're trying to differentiate between them. So yeah, that would be on the good side. Person, so, person who thinks a lot. So speculative would be someone who thinks in line with cause and effect, while deluded would be someone who has kind of a faulty idea of what cause and effect are. Yeah, that's one thing. I would say it it also has to do with people who are arrogant and conceited. That's those fall under the wrong the delusion side. People worry about things. Those are that's a delusion. Um, a person who who thinks about things that shouldn't be. Another thing is the subject, like a person who thinks about sports or or you know entertainment or you know uh, who who thinks about food. You know they sit around in their in their meditation hut and think about what's for breakfast and 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 that kind of thing. Uh, that has to do with greed as well. But the the the, the Delusion has a lot to do with focusing on things that shouldn't be focused on. Focus on the self. Yeah, a good one is these monks who sit around and say, do I exist? Do I not exist? Uh, does the arahant exist after death? Is the world eternal? Is the world not eternal? All of these things have to do with, with delusion because they're not they're not based on reality, you know, talking about the self and so on. Uh, on so that's inappropriate attention. Yeah, I would suggest that that's on the delusion side, whereas a person who speculates about the Dhamma, like what did the Buddha mean by this, and you know, uh, trying to figure out the Abhidhamma, that kind of thing is, you could suggest is a different. So speculative, when viewed as a negative, could be like a greed for knowledge, maybe. Maybe. Uh, I mean, I guess the idea here is that speculative isn't bad. Speculative is, is more leaning towards good. It's a positive incarnation. And so, uh, Buddha uh, asking question from the monks in the Anattalakana Sutta, is this uh, self or non-self, if it is impermanent? Yeah, but I'm, I mean, I don't think speculate, speculative just means asking and answering questions. It's more, we're talking about a type of person here. So it's a type of person who spe, who's, who thinks a lot, who speculates. You know, speculates about Buddhism, let's say, speculates good things. I guess, I guess you could probably just say speculates about anything. So even if they speculate about bad things, you could probably still call that speculative. Deluded is specifically dealing with wrong views, a person who has all sorts of wrong understandings, a person who believes in God, for example, a person who comes to practice meditation and has this belief that God is going to save them, and etc., etc. Well, you have to deal with that person in a specific way. People who have wrong beliefs might be a good one. People who believe in the self and the soul and 
and so on. Well, everyone who isn't awakened has that somewhere deep inside of them, don't they? Not necessarily. Western people mostly do, but I think just because we've grown up with it and probably have it from past lives as well. But it's not. It's it's all. That's only due to conditioning. You know, there's nothing in the the universe that says the natural state of mind is belief in God. It's a common one, but it, that has more to do with the nature of the universe. As all of us were once Brahmas and we've descended, we've de-evolved to come to the human realm. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. 78. Others say there are three more kinds of temperament with craving, pride, and views. Herein, craving is simply greed, and pride is associated with that. So neither of them exceeds greed. And since views have their source in delusion, the temperament of views falls within the deluded temperament. Uh, what is the source of these temperaments? And how is it to be known that such a person is of greedy temperament? That such a person is of one, one of those beginning with hating temperament? What suits one of, uh, what kind of temperament? Herein, as many say, the first three kinds of temperament. Roll this thing down, all the way down. No. To begin with, have their source in previous habit, and they have their source in elements and humorous. Apparently, one of greedy temperament has formerly had plenty of desirable tasks and gratifying work to do, or has reappeared here after dying in a heaven and one of heating temperament has formerly had plenty of stopping and, and torturing and brutal work to do or has reappeared here after dying in one of the hells or the Naga serpent ex existence and one of the diluted temperament has formerly drunk a lot of intox intoxicants and neglected learning and questioning or has reappeared here after dying in the animal existence. It is in this way that they have their source in previous habit, they say. Then a person is of deluded temperament because two elements are prominent. I believe he's just going to deny all this. All this, this is all this they say, they say, but I think he just denies it in the end. As to say, the earth element and the water element. He is of hating temperament because the other two elements are prominent. But he is of greedy temperament because all four are equal. And as regards the humors, one of greedy temperament has phlegm in excess, and one of deluded temperament has wind in excess. 
or one is one of deluded temperament has phlegm in excess and one of greedy temperament has wind in excess so they have their source in the elements and the humors they say what's this day that he's talking about some i think the the actual is is some geji geji is a very common thing in the commenters because they're dealing with debates you've got a lot of various uh opinions the they is all is almost always uh someone who we don't agree with we being being the guy who's doing the commentary ah thank you no Worth- it can- I'm sorry, go ahead. I guess I just, I had a question of, uh, were the humors even around in the time of the Buddha, or is this uh, some kind of uh, addition by the commentator? I don't know a lot about Ayurvedic medicine, but I'm assuming it's ancient and come from, it probably comes from the indigenous Indian people before the Aryan invasion, or whatever did happen. It's... uh, from the indigenous shamans. You know, the word shaman actually comes from the Sanskrit, shramana. And it's, uh, you know, it it described these people who lived in the the woods and had all sorts of knowledge of of such things. That's where I would imagine. Ayurveda, I'm pretty sure, didn't come from the Vedas. There's not much in there that um, I think is of much use for for the health, although I'm not quite sure. I do remember some um, reading in some of the Pali Canon that the Buddha does talk about humors a little bit. I don't even know what, what the Pali word for humors, what, what word they're using for humors here. Now, it can rightly be objected that not all of those who have had plenty of desirable task and gratifying work to do and who have uh, repaired here after dying in the heaven, in a, a heaven, are of greedy temperament or the others, uh, respectively of hating and deluded temperament, and there is no such law of prominence of element uh, as that asserted and only the pair greedy and deluded are giving in the law of humorous and even that subsequently uh, contradicts itself and no source for even one among those beginning with one of the faithful temperament is giving consequently this Definition is decisive, indecisive. The following is the exposition according to the opinion of the teachers of the commentaries, where this is said in the explanation of prominence. The fact that these beings have prominence of greed, prominence of hate, prominence of delusion is governed by previous root cause. For when in one man, at the moment of his accumulation, rebirth-producing karma, greed is strong and non-greed is weak. Non-hate and non-delusion are strong and hate and delusion are weak. Then his weak non-greed is 
unable to prevail over his greed, but his non-hate and non-delusion being strong are able to prevail over his hate and delusion. This is why on being reborn through rebirth linking given by that comma, he has greed, is good-natured and unangry, and possesses understanding with knowledge like lightning flash. When at the moment of another's accumulating comma, greed and hate are strong, and non-greed and non-hate weak, and non-delusion is strong, and delusion is weak, then in the way already stated, he has both greed and hate, but possesses understanding with knowledge like a lightning flash, like the elder Datta Abhaya. When at the moment of his accumulating kama, greed, non-hate, and delusion are strong, and the others are weak, then in the way already stated, he both has greed and is dull, but is good-tempered and unangry, like the elder Bahula. Likewise, when at the moment of his accumulating kama, the three, namely greed, hate, and delusion, are strong, and non-greed, etc., are weak, then in the way already stated, he has both greed and hate and is deluded. When, at the moment of his accumulating kama, non-greed, hate, and delusion are strong, and the others are weak, then in the way already stated, he has little defilement and is unshakable, even on seeing a heavenly object, but he has hate and is slow in understanding. When at the moment of his accumulating comma, non-greed, non-hate, and non-delusion are strong, and the rest weak, then in the way already stated, he has no greed and no hate, and is good-tempered, but slow in understanding. Likewise, when at the moment of his accumulating comma, non-greed, hate, and non-delusion are strong, and the rest weak, then in the way already stated, he both has no greed and possesses understanding, but has hate and is irascible. Likewise, when at the moment of his accumulating comma, the three, that is, non-hate, non-greed, and non-delusion are strong, and greed, etc., are weak, then, in the way already stated, he has no greed and no hate, and possesses understanding, like the elder Maha Sangharakita. One who, as it is said here, has greed, is one of greedy temperament. One who has hate and one is dull are, respectively, of hating temperament and deluded temperament. One who possesses understanding is one of intelligent temperament. One who has no greed and one who has no hate are of faithful temperament, because they are naturally trustful. Or just as one who is reborn through kama, accompanied by non-delusion, is of intelligent temperament, so one who is reborn through kama accompanied by strong faith is a faithful temperament. One who is reborn through kama accompanied by thoughts of sense desire is of speculative temperament. And one who is reborn through kama accompanied by mixed greed, etc., is of mixed temperament. So it is the kama production of rebirth linking and accompanied by someone among the things beginning with greed that should be understood as the source of the temperaments. Mm. 
but it was asked and how is it to be known that this person is of greedy temperament and so this is explained as follows by the posture by the action by eating seeing and so on by the kind by the kind of states occurring may temperament be recognized herein by the posture when one of a when one of greedy temperament is walking in his unusual manner, he walks carefully, put his foot down slowly, put it down evenly, lifts it up evenly, and his step is springy. One of hating temperament walks as though he were digging with the points of his feet. Put his feet, put his foot down quickly, lifts it up quickly, and his step is dragged along. One of diluted temperament walks with a perplexed gait, puts his foot down, hesitates hesitantly lifts it up hasten hesitantly and his step is pressed down suddenly and this is said in the account of the ori origin of the Magandhya Sutta the step of one of greedy nature will be springy, the step of one of hating nature, dragged along, diluted, he will suddenly press down his step, and one without defilement has a step like this. It's pretty awesome. Now everyone's going to go back to their lives and start watching the way they step. <laughs> Well, I like the one with the, the greedy nature whose step is springy. That reminds me of running after the ice cream truck. <laughs> Something like that. But it's uh, you, you really start to be able to uh, catch this and, and realize that people are different. Some people are naturally springy and they incline towards good things. Some people are naturally angry and they incline towards bad things. Suddenly, some people are deluded. And you can see they walk... Sometimes like this, sometimes like that. Is there a I think after reading this, some people may be afraid to go into temples uh, thinking that they will be judged. <laughs> yeah, and some people, you know, often you, you, you try to, okay, I've got to change my step. That's the step of an angry person. That's the step of a greedy person. There's a story, though, about um, how someone carried themselves or their, the way that they walked, uh, their comportment that helps spur someone towards enlightenment. I don't quite understand. I, I, I just thought I remembered uh, some story uh, where... The way that the way that a arahant walked uh, was, 
you know, a noble way and, and people could actually see that through uh, that. Right. Yeah, the, the, most, the most famous story is of Asaji, one of the first five disciples of the Buddha who was walking through uh, Varanasi and Upatissa saw him. Upatissa was the, man, the recluse who would eventually become Sariputta. And because he saw him uh, and saw his, his deportment, and I love this last sentence, that's just awesome. And one without defilement has a step like this. That's so Zen. Uh, and so when he saw him with a step like this, it he knew right away that this was the one who was going to teach him the truth. Thank you. It seems like people, a lot of people mistake the steps for like, if I could only step like this, then I could be awakened. But it seems like the way people walk and the way people comport themselves is rather an effect of their awakening, not a cause of their awakening. Absolutely. I think people put too much into this and, and so will, as a result of this, they'll take it the wrong way and think, okay, I have to adjust my step. That's obviously not the point. An arahat doesn't control their step. They just naturally step like this. Uh, the point here is to recognize people. And that's why he says with their something about their original or their, their natural state, right? So it's only in their natural state. When people are trying to control themselves, you can't tell the difference between one and the other. I don't know. It seems pretty obvious someone looking to control themselves is looking to control themselves. Yeah, and you could probably pick them out as having a certain type of temperament as well. But uh, an arahat might also have a greedy style of stepping because of uh, vasana. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about that as well. Vasana could play a part. I don't think exactly. I think you'd still get a sense that they're just stepping so naturally. Uh, I don't think it would have. It wouldn't have the springiness to it. Because there was the story of uh, one arahat jumping over, uh, not. Uh, yeah, I think we I think we look we, we, we imagine that meaning he was kind of giddy and, and, and so on, but he just all it means is he instead of walking through it he, he he quite mindfully jumped over, which people thought an arahat jumping over a stream. But you know, that it was a utilitarian move. It wasn't a means of deporting himself. I still would say that is he probably he probably looked awesome jumping. He probably looked so mindful as he jumped over. I would imagine. Yeah. I wish we had YouTube videos. Of our hunts? Yeah. That would be awesome. You should look up uh, my teacher. Some I think there's a couple with him in it, and you can just tell from his deportment there's something very special. Not that I'm claiming him to be anything or anything, but I'm just saying. Yeah, there's also the videos of um, Dinesarubiko or of Ajahn Brahm. Like, it's, it doesn't show them walking. Actually, some of them do in Ajahn Brahm. But um, it's more just their general department, the way that they conduct themselves in the world. That's very different.
Bhante, would you read 89? The stance of one of greedy temperament is confident and graceful. That of one of hating temperament is rigid. That of one of deluded temperament is muddled, likewise in sitting. And one of greedy temperament spreads his bed unhurriedly, lies down slowly, composing his limbs, and he sleeps in a confident manner. When woken, instead of getting up quickly, he gives his answer slowly as though doubtful. One of hating temperament spreads his bed hastily anyhow. With his body flung down, he sleeps with a scowl. When woken, he gets up quickly and answers as though annoyed. One of deluded temperament spreads his bread bed all awry and sleeps mostly face downward with his body sprawling. When woken, he gets up slowly saying, hum. Okay, so now we all know where we are. You have to remember, I think he's just talking, yeah, in, the, in number 90 he says it's parallel, so you might be on the other side. It's not all bad. Ah, uh, okay. Since those of faithful temperament, etc., are parallel to those of greedy uh, temperament, etc., their postures are therefore like those described above. This is firstly is how the temperament may be recognized by the posture. By the action, also in the acts of sweeping, and so on, one of greedy temperament grasps the broom well, and he sweeps cleanly and evenly without hurrying or scattering the sand, as if he were strewing sinduvada flowers. One of hating temperament grasps the broom tightly, and he sweeps uncleanly and unevenly with a harsh noise hurriedly throwing up the sand on each side. One of deluded temperament grasps the broom loosely, and he sweeps neither cleanly nor evenly, mixing the sand up and turning it over. As with sweeping, so too with any action such as washing and dyeing robes and so on, one of greedy temperament acts skillfully, gently, evenly, and carefully. One of hating temperament acts tensely, swiftly, and unevenly. One of deluded temperament acts unskillfully, as if muddled, unevenly, and indecisively. Also, one of greedy temperament wears his robe neither too tight nor too loosely, confidently, and level all around. One of hating temperament wears it too tight and not level all around. One of deluded temperament wears it loosely and in a muddled way. Those of faithful temperament, etc., should be understood in the same way as those just described, since they are parallel. This is how the temperaments may be recognized by the actions. One thing that's very interesting to me is uh, the part about the greed, how how good it sounds, you know? It sounds like a person who who, who has greed is actually awesome. You know, they, they do everything right, which shows you how, how pernicious is, is greed. Uh, that meaning it, how, how subtle and how how uh, close it is to to being right because a person who's greedy as a human being is often very happy and this is where this idea of positive thinking and the secret I think you know that whole idea of if you believe you deserve something you'll get it etc etc all this this stuff comes from 
It comes from people who are of greedy temperament, and they look so confident. This is you often get Buddhists following these people in uh, in Buddhist countries. You'll see these sorts of people, and they look so happy. You just think they must be enlightened because they do everything right. But uh, it's interesting the 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 relationship there. I don't know. That sounds OCD to me, but uh, I'm not sure how if that's exactly related to greed. But yeah, you might there might. There's something there, definitely. Interesting. I never, I never thought that OCD might be related to uh, greed. I don't know. Um, I think the thing with people of greedy temperament is they seem so confident and so aloof and so amazing, but they always seem like that when they're getting what they want. Yeah, there's a certain type of temperament that that ignores when bad things happen and easily dismisses and forgets about them. I think we all know such people who it just seems like and 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 they're sure that all you have to do is think positive because whenever anything bad happens they scream and and moan and wail and complain and feel just awful like everyone else but it's something about the good karma that they have from the past that their brains are able to just let forget about it and and move on and be happy there's an interesting book uh something the emotional life of our brain or something like that something some neuroscience book where he talks about people actually are different and some and their brain makeup is different some people's brains just let them feel a lot happier than others yeah blaming god is is also in there or they don't blame god do they 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 uh, call it a test or something like that yeah everything god gives them is the will of God, everything God puts in their way is a test from God. Or Satan. <laughs> Tempting. Yeah. Satan did it. Okay, 93. By eating, one of greedy temperament likes eating rich, sweet food. When eating, he makes a round lump, not too big, and eats unhurriedly, savoring the various tastes. He enjoys getting something good. One of hating temperament likes eating rough, sour food. When eating, he makes a lump that fills his mouth, and he eats hurriedly without savoring the taste. He is aggrieved when he gets something not good. One of deluded temperament has no settled choice. When eating, he makes a small, unrounded lump, and he eats as he eats, he drops bits into his dish, smearing his face with his mind astray, thinking of this and that. Also, those of faithfulness, etc., should be understood in the same way as those just described, since they are parallel. This is how the temperament may be recognized by eating. I guess another thing I wanted to say about the, the variation in the temperaments is that the, the point is, as a teacher, you the greedy temperament is actually more difficult to teach. And this really that's why this really rings true to me, because, yeah, they're, they're so perfect already, and everything's fine, and this is just another aspect of it. The, it's much easier to teach one of hating temperament, because they really don't like where they're at. And uh, and putting it as a parallel to the buddhika temperament, the intelligent temperament, it seems like there's something there 
in regards to I, I think that's unfair to say, but but it is fair to say that it's easier to teach someone of hating temperament uh, because hate hate is hate hate changes more quickly than greed. Greed is uh, slow to change. It's the pernicious one. People, nobody wants to feel hate, but greed can be associated with with pleasure and calm. Hate, on the other hand, is always associated with pain, with with suffering. Bhante, when it comes to meditation, uh, if it is samatha, maybe it's difficult for hating person to concentrate. Yeah, that, that's a good point. So you might say, might suggest that samatha is easier for someone with uh, loba chalita, someone, and vipassana might be easier for someone with dosa chalita. Anyway, we don't have to speculate too much. 94. And by seeing and so on, when one of greedy temperament sees even a slightly pleasing visible object, he looks long as if surprised. He seizes on trivial virtues, discounts genuine faults, and when departing he does so with regret, as if unwilling to leave. When one of hating temperament sees even a slightly unpleasant visible object, he avoids looking long, as if he were tired. He picks out trivial faults, discounts genuine virtues, and when departing, he does so without regret, as if anxious to leave. When one of deluded temperament sees any sort of visible, visible object, he copies what others do. If he hears others criticizing, he criticizes. If he hears others praising, he praises. But actually, he feels equanimity in himself, the equanimity of, unknow of unknowing. So too with sounds and so on. And those of faithful temperament, etc., should be understood in the same way as those just described, since they are parallel. This is how the temperaments may be recognized by seeing and so on. By the kind of states occurring in one of greedy temperaments, that there is frequent occurrence of such states as deceit, fraud, pride, evilness of wishes, greatness of wishes, discontent, foppery, and personal vanity. In one of hating temperament, there is frequent occurrence of such states as anger, enmity, disparaging, domineering, envy, and avarice. In one of deluded temperament, there is frequent occurrence of such states as stiffness, torpor, agitation, worry, uncertainty, and holding on to tenacious, tenacious, holding on tenaciously with uh, refusal to relinquish. In one, in one of faithful temperament, there is frequent occurrence of such states as free generosity, desire to see noble ones, desire to hear the good Brahma, great gladness, ingenuous, ingenuousness, honesty, trust in things that uh, inspire trust. In one of intelligent temperament, there is frequent occurrence of such states as, states as readiness to be spoken to, possession of good friends, knowledge of the right amount of eating, mindfulness and full awareness, devotion to wakefulness, a sense of urgency about things that should inspire a sense of urgency, and wisely directed in endeavor. In one of speculative temperament, there is frequent occurrence of such states as talkativeness, sociability, boredom, and devotion to the profitable 
devotion to the profitable, failure to finish undertakings, smoking by night and flaming by the day. Um, that is to say, hatching plants at night and putting them into effect by day. And mental running hither and thither. This is how the temperament may be recognized by the kind, kind of states occurring. However, this direct sorry. <clears throat> However, these directions for re recognizing the temperaments have not been handed down in their entirety in either the texts or the commentaries. They are only expressed according to the option according to the op opinion of the teachers and cannot therefore be treated as authentic for even those of hating temperament can exhibit posture etc ascribed to the greedy temperament when they try diligently and posture extra etc never arise with distinct characteristics in a person of mixed temperament only such directions for recognizing temperament as are given in the commentaries should be treated as authentic for this is said a teacher who has acquired penetration of minds will know the temperaments and will explain a meditation subject accordingly one who has not should question the pupil so it is by penetration of minds or by questioning the person that it can be known whether he is one of greedy temperament or one of this beginning with hating temperament okay let's stop there we've done an hour and we should go on to Pali now so thanks everyone that was uh you can see it starting, I think, for me anyway, it's getting more interesting. I'm hoping it's more approachable than some of the earlier stuff. And the rest of the, the rest of this whole section should be fairly approachable. There's some stuff on the, the jhanas that's a little bit technical, but still interesting. Most of this should be fairly approachable and interesting. So let's take a five-minute break or five, ten-minute break and then come back and study Pali. Thank you, Bhante. Thank you, Bhante. I'm going to go eat Thank some nutty cakes and then I'll be right back. <laughs>